I'm Caleb, and this is the Heir of Grievances podcast. I felt like I had to uh, make this episode. Um, it took me a while. I've been thinking about it for a few days, and it's taken me a minute to get up the gumption and the willpower to do it. Um, I've honestly been in a bit of a season of depression here recently. Um, kind of ironically, when I went home for Christmas, uh, I kind of got hit with it. Um, and. I, I don't know, I, I feel really empty and, and I guess lonely, um, I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to say it, but I, I'm feeling very, uh, godless, and I, I hate it, I, I've been, like, praying more than I ever am in the habit of doing, that you know, I don't know. Praying, I guess, for faith. But uh, when I was home for Christmas, and you know, this may have been kind of precipitated in the past couple episodes when I uh, interviewed Sam and then Daniel. Uh, you may have picked up on some hints at this, but um, yeah, when I was home for Christmas. Um, I had a, a little bit of an episode with my parents, and this is, you know, I'm, this is probably something that I should have realized a long time ago, but I realized that I put too much weight in what my parents think of me, and I put I had them on a pedestal, and that's something that I thought I got over a long time ago, I guess incrementally. It's something that I've, you know, I've realized before, but I realized that they're just people and I don't, you know, I don't have to tell them every single thought that comes into my head and I don't have to bear my soul to them. I don't know. This is, it's hard to put this into words. Um, and then... I had a I had a little bit of an anxiety uh, panic attack, um, and then tried to put on a, a happy face because um, my brother Nate was home uh, for Christmas and he is in a real a real low place or a real bout of depression himself, and I just felt like it would be selfish for me to. Um, to kind of wear my heart on my sleeve. So, tried to put on a happy face, and, um, try, I don't know, I've, I've had, like, kind of seasons, you know, which is, I guess, kind of a church word, um, uh, of, I guess, of atheism, 
but it's never been this deep and it's never been it's never lasted this long and like i said like i hate it i don't like it it's it's cold and lonely and i like i said i've i've been trying to fight it but you know if if god is a conscious being then i guess this is god's will that I'm in this place right now mentally. Um, yeah, the only, honestly, the only reason I'm even recording this and putting this out there is just for the sake of openness and honesty. And it's, it's my shtick, like Daniel pointed out in my last episode. It's my, it's my gimmick uh, to kind of document my spiritual voyage and right now it is a dry and empty trail of the voyage um yeah, i'm down guys i'm fucking depressed pardon my language but i i guess back to my story i realized that all of the christians that i know who admittedly are, you know, evangelicals and Protestants um, for the most part. But they're all scared. They're all scared of offending God. Like, when I was home for Christmas, Nick and I were joking around, my brother, my little brother Nick, and um, I, I, th- I think it happened like, this is something like, good lord. And my mama said, you know, she got mad and was like, don't take God's name in vain. And I said, I thought God's name was Yahweh. And Nick was like, oh, Yahweh. And I was like, only Yahweh. You know Yahweh up to his shenanigans. And mom got so scared and was like, be careful. It's like, and I said, mom, God can see our heart he can see our intent we're not like is 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 god so fragile is god so fickle so easily offended so i mean i guess our translation of scripture says that he's a jealous god I'm not too sure what the what that original uh word actually is that we that we translate as jealous but I don't know. That just, that just doesn't sound right to me. Um, I mean, I still believe in love. And I still am all about Jesus. I'm all about Christ. But I just don't feel God, guys. And I hate it. I don't feel God as, as a conscious entity. Um, of course, there's the term... Maybe I'm not an atheist uh, mental state. Maybe it's a, a, a non-theist, which is the belief that uh, God is not sentient like humans. But, uh, you know, 
kind of a, a force beyond consciousness and sentience. But I don't know, guys. I don't know where I'm at. And I am literally praying that this passes and that, uh, yeah, that, that it won't last. But it's just where I'm at. It's where I am right now. And it sucks. But that's what's up. That's what's going on. And, you know, maybe this this will strengthen me. Maybe this will kind of uh, take the frills away from my worldview. Take the, the fluff away. And maybe it'll strengthen my understanding and relationship with God. I hope. But right now, it's not pretty. And logically, just because all of the Christians that I see are scared of upsetting God, of offending this angry, jealous God, that's no reason for me to... That shouldn't affect my beliefs. That shouldn't affect what I think just because other people behave and act a certain way. But for some reason, this series of events has left me feeling empty and dry. And I don't really have a whole lot, a whole lot more to say. Um, so I guess... Uh, yeah, I guess this is a mini-sode. Lucky thing I have that term to uh, qualify and justify the brevity of, of this <laughs> of this episode. Um, so yeah, I'm going to play um, a chapter from Peter Rollins' most recent book, The Orthodox Heretic. Um, and... I can really relate with it, and I hope that my story ends up paralleling this story, this parable that Peter Rollins tells. Uh, So yeah, I'm going to play that, and we'll call it a day. And hopefully the next time you hear from me, I'll be in a better place. But uh, yeah, I didn't want to record this. I didn't want to release this. I hardly have the energy to do anything. My my apartment's a mess. It takes a lot of effort just to take a freaking shower, brush my teeth, get dressed. I'm still in my work clothes right now. I, ha- I hate staying in, in my work clothes after work. I hate staying in my uniform, but I just don't have the energy to get changed. It's pathetic. Pathetic. So, God, I need an intervention. I'll I'll bet money that someone will hear this and reach out to me and try to throw me a lifeline, throw me a, a, you know, a lifesaver, a floaty, some floaty wings. What are those things called? Those little inflatable uh, 
wings, the, the little orange wings that kids wear. Anyway, but please don't do that, guys. Please don't, please don't, uh, reach out to me and try to logically pull me back because a logical what was that a logical um, mathematical quote unquote faith is no faith at all in my book I need a, a right brain, mystical intervention, not a mathematical enlightenment era intervention. Anyhow, so yeah, here's Pete Rollins laying down some truth. Um, probably his most autobiographical parable in uh, Orthodox Heretic. And uh, just like... I've done in the past, I'm going to um, apply the adage, it's easier to ask forgiveness than ask permission, and just hope that Peter is okay with me borrowing his material, stealing his content, and uh, yeah, anyway, I love you guys. And uh, that's about it. That's about it. Talk to you next week. Later. Chapter 19. The Agnostic Who Becomes an Atheist There was once a world-renowned philosopher who, from an early age, set himself the task of proving once and for all the non-existence of God. Of course, such a task was immense for the various arguments for and against the existence of God had done battle over the ages without either being able to claim victory. He was, however, a genius without equal, and he possessed a singular vision that drove him to work each day and long into every night in order to understand the intricacies of every debate, every discussion, and every significant work on the subject. The philosopher's project began to earn him respect among his fellow professors when, as a young man, he published the first volume of what would turn out to be a finely honed, painstakingly researched, encyclopedic masterpiece on the subject of God. The first volume of this work argued persuasively that the various ideas of God that had been expressed throughout antiquity were philosophically incoherent and logically flawed. As each new volume appeared, he offered time and again devastating critiques of the theological ideas that had been propagated throughout different periods of history. In his early forties, he completed the last volume, which brought him up to the present day. However, the completion of this work did not satisfy him. He still had not found a convincing argument that would demonstrate once and for all the non-existence of God for all he had done was show on how the various notions of God up until that time had been problematic. So he spent another 16 years researching arguments and interrogating them with a highly nuanced logical analysis. But by now he was in his late 50s and had slowly begun to despair of ever completing his life project. 
Then, late one night, while he was locked away in his study, bent wearily over his oak desk, surrounded by a vast sea of books, he felt a deep stillness descend upon the room. As he sat there motionless, everything around him seemed to radiate an inexpressible light and warmth. Then, deep in his heart, he heard the voice of God address him. Dear friend, the task you have set yourself is a futile one. I have watched all these years as you poured your being into this endless task, yet you fail to understand that your project can be completed only with my help. Your dedication and single-mindedness have not gone unnoticed, and they have won my respect. As a result, I will tell you a sacred secret, meant only for a few. Dear friend, I do not exist. Then, all of a sudden, everything appeared as it was before, and the philosopher was left sitting at his desk with a deep smile breaking across his face. He put his pen away and left his study never to return. Instead, in gratitude to God for helping him complete his lifelong project, he dedicated his remaining years to serving the poor. Commentary The word theism refers to belief in God, while atheism refers to the rejection of this belief. However, just as belief in God is always a belief in a certain concept of God, so the rejection of God is always the rejection of one or more concepts of God. In the same way that you can ask a theist, what God do you believe in? So one can ask an atheist, what God do you not believe in? Traditionally, atheism is always regional in nature for it limits itself to attacking some particular conception or conceptions of God. Concrete expressions of atheism are regional not only because there are so many conceptions of God in existence today, but also because there are an infinite number of possible conceptions that have yet to be dreamed of. While one form of atheism may question one form of theism, it will not necessarily have anything to say concerning a different form. Therefore, atheism at its best is always provisional, meaning that it is always limited to a particular expression of belief. Because of this, the philosopher in the previous story struggled to find an atheism that would be able to reject all possible conceptions of God. Only when God showed up was the philosopher finally able to attain a truly universal atheism, one that could reject in advance any conceptual description of God. The reason for this lies in the idea that God utterly transcends all concepts and thus cannot be approached as an object at all. It is common for those who argue for and against the existence of God to assume that the word God is used by believers to refer to something that we can point toward, distance ourselves from and dispassionately reflect upon. However, one can reject this idea of God as nothing but a form of idolatry that is opposed to the biblical expression of God. This approach questions any expression that would reduce God to the realm of objects. Here, no theistic rendering of God is allowed to lay claim to God. 
for God dwells above and beyond all names. God is rather approached as the ineffable source that is received but never conceived. God is thus not approached as an object, but rather encountered as an absolute subject who transforms our relationship with all objects. Just as the light in the room cannot be seen, but rather allows us to see, so God is not directly experienced, but rather is the name we give to a whole new way of experiencing. Is this not how we are to approach the idea of being born again? One does not experience birth. Rather, birth is what opens us up to the world of experience. Hence, religious experience is not really experience as such, but the opening up into a different way of experiencing. Because every description of God testified to in the Judeo-Christian tradition falls short, the encounter with this God is the very event that opens up a universal atheism. In other words, only an atheism that proclaims no concept of God can do justice to the reality of God. In this way, all concepts of God are now rejected in advance. Religious believers can therefore affirm atheism in the most radical sense because they refuse to let any conception of God take the place of God. The thoughtful believer is not questioning or denying the value or importance of positive descriptions, but simply refusing to let those provisional, fractured descriptions take on the guise of absolute authority. For what gives birth to the believer stands before all descriptions and remains free from them. Thus, a philosophically coherent atheism can be described as a profoundly Judeo-Christian position. For it is a position that refuses to let any description colonize the source that we call God. A source that stands outside temporal duration and spatial location. Once we understand this, we can stop arguing about God and, like the philosopher in the previous story, dedicate our lives to being the manifestation of God.
Thank you.